This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi there, you're listening to More Than Potential. I'm your host, Faith. Hi guys, um... (laughs) I hope everyone's doing well. I have been on hiatus for quite some time, so it's good to be back. Uh, it's good to be you know, pumping out more content and getting back into a schedule. I hope that all of you are doing well. Of course, I missed you. Of course, you know, I missed recording episodes and doing what I do, but I definitely needed some time to fall back and reflect on some stuff. So... Here's the good news. The good news is the podcast is back. Um, The Patreon is in full swing. The YouTube channel is now up. It is ready to go. But my appearance on TikTok is questionable. I'm not quite sure when I will be back on TikTok. And I mean that seriously. Like, I'm not even on the app. Like, if you have tried to send me messages on TikTok. I haven't gotten them because I'm not on the app. Quite literally, it's deleted from my phone. So if you are trying to get a hold of me, you need to reach me via DM on Instagram. That's how you can get a hold of me. And that's where I'm responding to people. But as of right now, no, I am not on TikTok in any capacity at all. And that will remain the same for quite some time. I don't know when I'm coming back to TikTok. I'll decide that on my own terms. But right now, I'm shifting my focus to other things. So I know you're probably wondering, well, Faith, what in the world is going on? Like, why did you leave TikTok? Um, Because a lot of you know me from TikTok. So Faith, why are you leaving TikTok? I I don't understand. What's going on? Well, before I delve into it, and before I explain some of what's been going on in my personal life, just want to be clear, you guys, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to, you know, share the podcast with friends and family. You can find the podcast on all available platforms. So that's Google, that's Apple, that's Spotify, Overcast, Anchor, so on and so forth. The podcast is widely available and accessible. If you really love the podcast, be sure to go on Apple Podcasts and rate and review. I love reading your reviews on my podcast. It means the world to me to see those things. And of course, feel free to DM me on Instagram. That's where I'll be taking requests for different topics that I can cover, as well as just, you know, you can give me feedback on what you enjoyed and what you did not enjoy about the episode. So I love getting that feedback from you guys. So do not underestimate the power of your voice as a listener. That being said, um, let's talk about some of the stuff that's been going on in my personal life. Things that led to basically me taking a massive step back from TikTok. So as you guys know, I started promoting the podcast on TikTok and I promoted my Patreon on TikTok. Most of you know me from the app. That's where I built a a following pretty quickly. 
And long story short, things have turned taken an interesting turn because of some recent TikTok drama. I wasn't necessarily involved, not as much as people think, but I was definitely in it in some capacity. I knew of what was going on in some capacity. And so, you know, given the public response to this, as well as some things happening in my personal life, I had to reflect on if being on the platform served me long term. Like, what was my end goal? This entire time on TikTok, I haven't really had a real goal. Like, when I think about what I was doing on TikTok, I would say, because I started posting in December, December of 2020. So that's when I started my account. After seven posts, I think it was, I started going viral. And then I built a following fairly quickly from there. So I was able to build a following super fast on TikTok. And when I first started, it was just to market my business. I wasn't doing anything personal. I was just marketing my business to people. I had a virtual assistant slash social media management business. Since then, after a little while, I shifted my focus on my platform and just started posting whatever I liked. I wanted to test the algorithm and I also wanted to produce different types of content to really see what the user's experience was like on the platform. That way, when I would advise people on TikTok strategy, I could better inform them about how to get the best experience possible and how to market their businesses effectively or just market their personal brands effectively if they wanted to be an influencer. That was my goal. Now, of course, I had no idea that I was actually going to be successful in this and that I was actually going to, you know, build a following. I didn't think that would happen as quickly as it did or really happen at all. But before you know it, I have over 200,000, you know, followers and growing. So it was nice, but I wasn't prepared to get that kind of following. And I didn't have an end game. I didn't have a reason. I didn't have an agenda. Um, Believe it or not, most content creators do have an agenda when they're on these platforms. Some people are marketing their business. Some people are trying to get famous and become actresses. Everybody generally has a purpose. Somebody, Some people just want to promote um, the things that they're doing, like community work. Some people want to educate and build a brand around that. There's a lot of agendas on social media. And so I realized fairly quickly that everybody else had a reason to be there, but I didn't. <laughs> you know, after I stopped marketing my business, I was like, well, what do I, what am I here for exactly? What is the reason, you know? And I think that lack of focus really manifested in how I navigated the app because I definitely chose to do things in a very specific way. I had a specific list of rules that I tried to follow while being on the platform but that ultimately resulted in me having a lack of clarity. So I wasn't able to move with a lot of strategy, if that makes sense. When you have an end goal in mind and you have a purpose and you know exactly what you're there to do, it makes it much easier to accomplish your goals. But maybe that's the point, right? Maybe people followed me because I had something to say and they didn't really sense that I had ulterior motives. I wasn't trying too hard. But now I have to confront the fact that I don't have a purpose. And if I don't have a purpose for being on the platform, then what is the point? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the point? Because it's TikTok is a very toxic place. I think it's one of the most toxic apps, honestly. Honest to God, it is probably one of the more toxic apps. At first, I thought it was Instagram, but I think TikTok is slowly starting to become more dangerous than I realized. And a lot of content creators are saying something very similar. TikTok is a whole other beast. And 
if you are not popular or not famous on other platforms, you may be underprepared for what happens when you slowly or maybe even quickly become famous like overnight. Because some people became internet celebrities in the span of a few days. You know what I'm saying? And so if you're not prepared for that and you don't have a real agenda, you're like, well, what do I do with all this attention? And so it can, it can slowly destroy you. And I think that's what happened to me, honestly. I got burnt out and I started realizing I wasn't prepared for the amount of online hate I was getting. I was just posting things that I wanted to post. I, I didn't really know what the result of my actions would be, honestly. And so I think that's one of the main reasons I had to take a step back because if I'm going to be on the platform and go through all of this, it has to be for a purpose. I'm not an online activist, you know what I mean? So therefore, do I really need to put up with that kind of hate? And this is really why I wanted to talk to you guys about this because honestly, it's not just, you know, on a personal level, the things that I'm going through, but just in general, this is a reminder that like, you need to learn how to walk away from things when it doesn't serve you. <clears throat> and when I've gotten old, as I've gotten older, I realized that like in a lot of ways, women specifically, you know, my case, black women feel pressured to do things and be things for other people to make them comfortable, to benefit them, to line their pockets with money. But when it comes to honoring ourselves and where we're at, we have a difficult time doing that. You know, some of us have a difficult time saying no. Some of us feel an insane amount of pressure to perform, to do this like activist performance, uh, to do certain things. And it doesn't matter what it is, but to do things that honestly may hurt us in the end. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, I want to tell you how this is manifested in my personal life. So besides the whole Evelyn Bear Paul situation, which if you want to know a little bit about that situation, I talk a little bit about it on my Patreon and there's a lot more context for what's going on. Um, and it's just my story and the way that it was shown to me. There's a lot of nuances to it, but that's available on my Patreon. So you can watch that live stream and get very clear on some of the things that I had a problem with. But aside from all of that TikTok drama in my personal life, I've had to really like demonstrate what it means to, to put myself first because here's the thing, right? So I'm an independent adult. I live by myself. I live miles from home. Home for me is Georgia. I don't live in Georgia anymore. I live in Missouri. And so during this entire pandemic, which I basically moved like two to three months before the pandemic started, before this pandemic, um, I was constantly living with anxiety about a lot of issues. And also I had a lot of unresolved trauma. And in a way, being able to move on my own and experience life has benefited me because it's given me a sense of autonomy and the ability to maintain a certain physical distance so that I could work through some of my stuff. Sometimes it's difficult to work through things when you're around the people who caused the trauma in the first place. So living away from family has been interesting in that it has given me that physical space to do the work that's required. Now, the unfortunate part is that basically it's during a pandemic that has, it's going to last for years. So 
I will see my family sporadically, but I won't get to see them very often because honestly, I'm vaccinated, but I'm not trying to risk it, right? I live by myself. So if I get COVID, even if it's not long hauler COVID, even if it's just COVID and I move past this and go about my day, it can still derail me in several ways. I'm not in the position to get sick. I need to work, um, especially during this economy. So getting sick is not in the game plan. It's not what I have in mind. So, you know, congregating with family and doing certain things is not to my benefit, right? But, you know, even beyond that, um, since I've been living by myself, I've had to come to terms with a lot of sad realities about my family situation. Like having that physical distance has allowed me to see things for what they really are. And I've had to cope with that feeling of loss. And no one talks about this, but like the loss that you feel because you're grieving the way things could have been with your family, the way things should have been, all the missed opportunities, you're grieving the relationship that you could have had with these family members, but won't exist because of their own behavior. It's so hard. You know what I'm saying? And so I've had to make a lot of personal choices to remove myself from individuals who cannot meet me where I'm at and who could be dangerous to my mental health. Um, I don't know how deep I want to get into this, but to give you more context for what I mean. So basically I was in an abusive situation for a while. Um, you know, unfortunately my father was a narcissist and he was abusive. And so, you know, I was in a situation when I was a teenager where I was unable to fend for myself and I was unable to stand and advocate for myself, couldn't stand up for myself. Right. And so to see the fact that my mother didn't really stand up for me and she like let this bad behavior continue was really disappointing. Um, I honestly think had certain things not played out the way that they did, I could have been killed. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, quite literally, there were threats made against our lives. My father threatened us. And so that was the opportunity that my mom saw to leave him. But had he not thought to say that and express his intent or desire, I may not be alive today. I, I might not have been, I might not have survived that. I mean, I was a teenager when this happened, still living in my parents' house. I was in high school. So, you know what I mean? Like, I had no idea that he had these thoughts about us, but had he never said anything out loud, I could have been one of those horrible stories that you see on um, TV all the time where a man kills his family and then himself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have been in that situation. And it escalated into domestic violence pretty quickly, um, in my opinion. So, you know, it's kind of like, as an adult, having to cope with that reality that, you know, I didn't see myself as a victim, right? Despite what happened to me, I never really wanted to call myself a victim to things because I didn't feel like I could take ownership of it, you know? But I... I realized after therapy, looking back, that nothing that happened to me was okay. And in fact, I was abused. Like, my behavior is very typical of somebody who has had an abusive 
um, childhood. So it was very difficult for me to reconcile the fact that I did not see myself as a victim, but that I had been so gaslit into accepting what was going on to me that I didn't even see, I didn't even see, like, I knew something was wrong with it, but I didn't think it was as bad as it actually was. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how to make it make sense other than that, but that was the case. And so the reason why I've had to distance myself from certain family members is because there is a refusal on the behalf of certain family members to see where I'm coming from with this. It is the epitome of gaslighting to say that beating your children is acceptable. It's not acceptable. And there were times where I was beaten. There was times where my, my, my siblings were beaten for nothing. That's abuse. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, it was so hard because we've normalized spanking in the black community. So, you know, in a weird way, people would not think of it as abuse, but that's exactly what it was. It was done with the intent to hurt. It was not done as a corrective measure. And even if it was done as a corrective measure, it's still abusive. And so I, it was so, I struggled with this so much because there was so much gaslighting around what I was experiencing and feeling and the emotions that I had about the way that I was treated, the way my siblings were treated. And so I had to, I had to take a step back because, you know, some of these people, they weren't listening. Like they were straight up gaslighting me, telling me that I had problems and I needed to go to therapy and that you have, you're messed up and stuff like that. And I'm like, you're throwing all this stuff at me because I told the truth, which is that what happened to me should have never happened. And the fact that my own parents did not stand up for me, it was, how do you let go of it? How do you let go of that? Your parents are the ones abusing you and no one wanted to hold themselves accountable for what could have happened to me. It's like, no one wanted to be honest with themselves and be like, honestly, I may not have survived this. I, if, if we had listened to you, I would be dead right now kind of thing with certainty on that. Okay. Um, so when someone's gaslighting you to that extent, what do you do? Do you, do you espouse the Christian ethic of forgiveness and just like turn the other cheek and look the other direction? Or do you say, you know what? This relationship does not serve me. It is harming me. You are not a good person. I cannot continue to, to keep myself in this environment. You know what I'm saying? So I chose the latter. I chose to say, you know what? If I'm going to preach about walking away from things and, and choosing better and breaking generational curses, then I have to be the one to say no. No, I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game with you. My feelings are valid. The, 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 what I went through really did happen exactly the way I said it did. You don't get to rewrite the story so that you don't come across as the bad guy. I don't have to put up with being gaslit my whole life. I don't have to accept that. I don't. So yeah, I, I did have to distance myself some, from some very toxic family members. And that was horrible. You know, it felt like a death. You know, I talked about this in a TikTok live stream, but it did feel like a death. It did feel like I was burying something. I was mourning a life I could have had with parents that I could have been with, you know, the perfect parents I never got. I, I you know, I, I mourned the fact that my family could have been much better, much healthier. We could have just been better had certain things never happened the way that they happened. And it, it's sad to realize that your parents were grown adults. Like, yes, they had their own trauma 
And yes, they have their own, their own stuff, but they're still grown adults. You were a child. They're the ones that had to say you didn't. And so in that situation, I just felt so much sadness because had people made different choices, we would have had a different outcome and things did not have to be like this. So when I talk about walking away from stuff, I'm saying that not because, you know, it's a cute little tweet that, you know, you see on Twitter that goes viral and whatever. No, I mean, like in, re- in the real world, doing that kind of work and putting yourself first can feel like hell. It can feel like your world is ending. And I've never felt so alone as when I had to move physically and emotionally away from my family and also say, you know what? Home is not a person because my family does not feel like home to me. Where my family lives feels oppressive and restrictive. When people go home, let's say if you're in college and you go home for the holidays, A lot of people feel good because they're going to visit family and they're going back to their childhood room and, you know, they're getting to basically go back to a place they feel safe and they feel like, you know, despite their family not being perfect, at least that was a place of safety for them because college can be a very confusing time. But I had to acknowledge psychologically that home never felt safe to me. I was never safe with the people that I was supposed to trust. I never felt that safety. I felt incredibly threatened and I did not feel protected where I was supposed to feel protected. Does that make sense? And so, you know, I had to understand that like now that as a grown adult, I have to create an environment for me that nurtures me and my home is what I choose it to be. My home is me. I am home because I am comfortable with myself. I cannot look at home as a physical place, an externalized place where my family lives because that's not realistic. That's holding on to a fantasy that did not exist. And so I had to break away from this deep psychological conditioning and the gaslighting and, and all of that to say, you know what, this you never felt safe here and you know you haven't. You always felt oppressed and restricted here. You know you have. It's time to let that go and say, you know what? I am home because I am in my body and I am present. I am comfortable with myself, even if that means I have to stand alone. And, you know, that's been a difficult process for me. Like, yeah, you saw me posting on TikTok, but behind closed doors, I was grieving. I was very depressed. And, you know, I'm doing better now to an extent, but... That feeling, just, I couldn't shake it. That feeling of never really fitting in, never having a place to feel like home, to feel like I could let my hair down, a place where I felt safe. I never felt that. So now as an adult, I have to create that for myself. You know what I mean? And so, this is heavy. This is really heavy, but it's true. So, yeah, I think that, In my personal life, I've had to make those tough choices and know that I can take care of myself, that I can fend for myself, that this world is is big and complicated and messy, but I will be okay. You know what I mean? I don't have the support system that I wish I had, and that sucks. That sucks a lot. It sucks a lot to know that you don't really have the support 
that you've always wanted and that you kind of feel like you're navigating this world alone. But it'll be okay. You know, it's, 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 it's truly, truly okay. I think it will be. I think. So, you know, this connects a lot with how I feel about TikTok because, you know, TikTok is not a safe space for me. It's not a safe place. Um, and I guess what was so triggering for me, which granted, as a side note, I don't like how I was more vulnerable. I did a live stream about the, you know, Barrett Paul and in her perspective situation. And I shed a few tears and to show you just how unsafe a space other black people are, somebody threw that in my face. And I was like, how do you throw me being emotional in my face? Like, do, do you know how much inner work I had to do to even get to a place where I can talk about my emotions in a healthy way and show an emotion other than anger? Do people know how many black women like myself all we feel is rage all the time. Just so much anger. I had to do so much inner work to get past the anger and get to other feelings. I don't just have anger and happiness. I have way more settings than that. So me bypassing anger and tapping into another emotion is the result of months of work and introspection and to see someone throw that in my face, I was so disappointed. I'm like, see, this is why black women like myself don't come forward. We don't share how we feel and we don't feel protected, even amongst other black women. Like, I don't know. That was just so disappointing. I wasn't angry, just disappointed. I was disappointed that like I was sharing my own personal experience and my tears were thrown in my face by one person and then I saw somebody else weaponizing my tears against Barrett Paul. I'm like, y'all, I'm not upset at him. I'm not crying about him. There's a lot more to, there's a lot more going on with me than just that. But everybody, ugh, I don't want to talk about it like in this podcast episode because I truly don't want to dig into it. Not publicly. I already said what I want to say publicly, but it's just people don't understand. There is so much more to somebody than what you see. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't regret being more vulnerable. I don't regret that. But I do wish that people would stop making my vulnerability about them and their agenda. There's so much more to me than that. There's a lot of stuff that's going on with me behind the scenes that y'all don't even know. Don't even know. Some of y'all didn't even know. But granted, followers who go to my TikTok live streams, they knew. So that's why they were upset and people were messaging me saying that they started crying when I started crying because they understand exactly where I'm coming from and why I was so hurt. They get it. Some of my followers, the ones who go to a lot of my live streams, they've heard me talk about my situation. And so they were grieving with me because they understood. They understood what this meant for me. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying not to cry, but anyway, so I think that Obviously, TikTok is not a safe space, right? And it's social media. It's not going to be. But I think, you know, since we're talking about walking away from things that don't serve us, I think that maybe talking about Black community issues also is something I've had to really do thinking on because 
I have to examine what my motivations are. When I talk about colorism and misogyny in the black community, what am I hoping will happen? Am I talking about these things because I want clout or attention? Am I talking about these things because I want the community to change? Like, why am I talking about these things? Because if it brings you hate, discontent, death threats, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And, you know, damn, this is going to be a really deep episode, but I've noticed a lot with Black women that we are constantly doing things that don't make sense for us personally because of a collective ideal, a collective goal, a community that doesn't respect you as an individual because they think you're disposable for the group, for the end group. You know what I mean? And so when I talk about Black community issues, I mean, I'm yes, in, in a way, I'm shedding light to complex problems. And yes, a lot of people benefit from me coming forward because I'm sharing a perspective that they don't always hear. All they hear are Black women who are talking about social justice issues and complaining about white people. What they don't hear is Black women talking about deep psychological problems and the, the nuances of the community that have to be addressed. They don't get that often. At, at best, they get a feminist spin on why things are the way that they are and everything's about a systemic uh, systemic um, cause. You know what I'm saying? That's the best what we get from Black women. But in terms of the, the real truth of why the community is the way that it is and the things that we say and do and the psychology behind how Black women think and how we act and why we do the things that we do are so under-discussed. Their conversation's very surface level, which is why I used to get a lot of the the, the heat and the and the the hate because there's a limited range of things that black women can be and things that black women can talk about. So just now, within the past five years, y'all collectively decided that misogyny is finally something you want to take seriously. So just in the time span that I've been on the internet, I've been on the internet since I was like 15, so about 2012, 2013. I've seen the discourse go from people saying misogyny is awful and that's a that's a white woman thing and you know white feminists are using conversations around misogyny to divide the black community you know white people are trying to divide us it's a divide and conquer strategy black men are not do- dominating black women da, da 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 you know that whole narrative that whole discourse I've literally seen that change from that to people co-opting feminist rhetoric since like 2015, 2016, to now be like, oh yeah, we're talking about misogynoir and how it affects black women and black men need to be held accountable. Y'all, the things that black women say today would be heretical 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? But the discourse moves so slowly and the limited range of acceptable thought is so narrow. So these cold takes that you see on social media about misogynoir, Y'all, that's old news. That's so old news. It's so boring. I've seen this already. I've heard this already because y'all are late. Y'all are late. The people who said it first, you bullied them off the platforms. You know what I'm saying? And so now women can pop off and talk their shit on social media because there were black women willing to take the L so that you could. But now we're at a a crossroads because women like me are trying to push the conversation to a different realm, but we're not ready for that yet. I think we're still debating and, and 
yelling over things that have been discussed for years. Like y'all finally have made mainstream massage noir. Well, it's a little late because now what you're finding is that the, the, the atmosphere, the conditions are a little different. So you're, you're hollering and arguing with men about massage noir that truly don't care. Now what? Black men don't protect black women. Thank you. It's 2021 for finally acknowledging that black men don't protect black women. Thank you, girls. Thank you so much for finally getting the point. It's a little late, though, because they don't care. Now what? You're yelling and arguing with men who don't actually care about you. Now what? You're going to continue to argue? This is an old conversation. It's cold. Your takes are cold. <sighs> Sorry, that was a that was a little tangent. But I think it's important to say, like, if we're talking about black women, you know, not really understanding that the things that they do aren't serving them, part of it is hollering on social media about topics that the black community doesn't care about. Otherwise would have changed it 20 years ago. It hasn't changed because nobody cares. It hasn't changed because somebody profits. So if that's the case, then we can assume that you're wasting your time. Maybe 50 years from now, the discourse will be much different and people will actually be talking about conditional allyship and like being honest with themselves about all the ways that black people have created our own downfall. But we're not going to talk about that right now. So, I mean, why bother? And I've had to confront this reality. Like a lot of black women seemingly are very interested in doing things like unconditional activism and support and throwing other black women under the bus for men. And it's like, guys, how does that serve you? And what, for example, I'll tell you exactly the type of things that people do that it doesn't serve you. As a black woman, nothing irks my spirit more than seeing a post on social media about how white penis, uh, white men are disgusting, their penises are pink, and nobody wants that. Disgusting, gross. That's so counterproductive. Like, listen... One day we're going to we're going to have to have a conversation about why black women are obsessed with phalluses and male worship in general because I've never even thought to even compare penis colors. Like what is wrong with y'all? Y'all are weird. I've never even thought to do that, but women are doing this and they're doing it why? To virtue signal. They're making these posts, ew, white penises are disgusting, pink penises are nasty. They're lo- they they look like worms. They're not saying it just to say it. They're saying it's a virtue signal to black men that, see, I don't like white men. I'm not like those bed wenches. I'm only for black men. My pussy hasn't been colonized. Like, this is how they think. And it's so weird to me. Like, why would you do that? Like, just for, how does that benefit you in any way? Unless men are saying the same thing in large numbers, You are bragging about not having as many options as other people and thinking that that's a flex. Like it's not a flex to to unilaterally support a group of men that don't find you as attractive as other races. Like they're openly telling you in every way possible in every black dominated media possible that black women are actually not the preferred and that they're actually, what they're doing is they're contacting non-black women to, 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 to lecture you on how to keep a black man. These black men are saying, hey, let me hop on a panel discussion with a white woman and an Asian woman so they can tell black women how to keep their men. That's what they're doing. While you're making posts about how white penises are disgusting, black men are not doing that. They're doing other things and they're laughing at you. 
but you want to virtue signal and worship men so bad, you don't see that it is not a win for you. Those sorts of posts are not a win. You are embarrassing yourself and all black women by doing things that don't make sense. Like I don't see other races of women making fun of white men's penises. That's just a bit much. If they don't like white men, they'll say they don't find white men attractive, but y'all go to the extreme. And for what? I don't understand. I don't. But you guys see what I'm saying? I mean, I know that's a very absurd example, but I see those posts all the time. We need to have a conversation about black women who do things that don't serve them and act in ways that are not beneficial and they don't realize it. And it always costs them something. You're not benefiting from the things that you're doing. And so, you know, I had to ask myself when I see this sorts of behavior in black people, I'm like, what is the point of me doing this content? Should I make content about the black community at all? Because I, I, you know, it's weird. Like I'm a black person. So if I'm going to speak on these social issues, inherently there is going to be an element where I'm commenting on black culture, but like my commentary on black culture is not going to be what you think it is. It's, it's going to be a little bit more fatalistic because I understand that this is never going to change unless we talk about it in fatalistic terms. You know what I'm saying? Like people are not going to wake up because they think that they can be redeemed after their bullshit. And I'm going to tell you, no, you won't be. You're going to be a dumbass now and a dumbass in the afterlife. We're going to drag you now and we're going to drag you when you're dead. You have no legacy and you have no bloodlines worth respecting. Now, what do we do? If we speak in fatalistic terms, do you get it now? I don't know. And I mean, nobody wants to hear that message though, right? So do I throw myself to the wolves and get a lot of online hate for telling the truth? Or do I just say nothing and go get my bag amongst non-black audiences who are willing to pay me money and do and do for my content? You'd be surprised. People just send me money all the time. I don't ask for it. They do. Because a lot of non-black people like the work that I'm doing and they say, wow, like you've actually given me so much context for the world as it is. I cannot talk about the black community ever again and I would still retain that audience. We could talk about all this other stuff about pop culture. I could talk about sex in the city and all these hit TV shows and celebrity gossip and be just as popular, if not more so. So is it to my benefit? You see how in my life, I'm always asking, if, is it, does this serve me? What is it costing me? And is there a better way? Because I don't think, and this is something I truly believe when I look at black women, they seem so convinced in their foolishness. Their ignorance is just so, they're so bullheaded, basically. They, they're in, in, within their ignorance, they don't see that there is always a better way. They are truly convinced that no matter what the circumstances are, that they're always in the right and everyone else is in the wrong. And we are the ones who are constantly the ones who need to tell, need to tell everybody else what to do. And it's like, sometimes, no, I often ask myself, am I doing the right thing? I'm not fully convinced. Only stupid people believe they're the smartest person in the room and that they can't be wrong. And in fact, I often question if this is the shit that we're supposed to be doing or if black women should be making different moves. Which is why I can't fully say that I, 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 I disagree with divestors of the community because I understand the purpose. If you truly give people the belief that they're redeemable no matter what they do, 
they will never change and they will never grow. If you continue to stroke men's ego and make them feel like no matter what they do to you, no matter how little they protect you, you will always defend them, they will never grow. If you never demand more, they will always offer less and hate you when you accept it. So now what do we do? Now, what is our move? And as a black woman, you know, I get the majority of black people are not going to fully understand what I'm saying yet, but who knows? Maybe in like, I don't know, 10 years, you'll circle around and realize I wasn't entirely wrong. Like, I don't understand how we can possibly expect black men to change and grow and improve and be the type of kings you claim they are if you've never demanded that they build you a kingdom. They sitting in a ramsack somewhere telling you all this stuff that they are and everything they used to be and how things could be if you just gave them more control. And it's like, well, sir, you sound like a madman. You have delusions of grandeur that you can't live up to. So either you build the kingdom and show us how royal you actually are, or you admit your impoverished condition and accept that that is your fate. But either way, the only way you can become more than just a madman on the fringes of society talking crazy, the only way you can become more than that is if you demonstrate that you are more. Otherwise, you will be left behind while everybody else succeeds. And that is the state of the African-American community. I'm not going to say all Black folks because, I mean, there are sub-communities of Black folks that seem to be doing well. So it's not everybody. But, I mean, you know, as an African-American, I got to be honest. This is the current condition of my people. I wish things were different, but, I mean, wishing and hoping and praying is what the, what the activists do. I don't do that. I look at reality and I look at what, where things are. And I don't assume it's going to get better. I have no, I, and maybe people would consider that pessimistic and that's fine, but I operate on the, from the lens of if I can look at the worst condition, the worst possible scenario and accept that and deal with that, everything else will be more manageable. If I can structure my life, assuming that no black man is coming to save me and is ever going to protect me and I will always be in danger. If I assume that the black community will not support me, right? And the black community does not want to hold its own people accountable, male and female. If I assume that nobody owes me their loyalty, right? And that just because they're black or just because they're a woman does not mean that they're loyal to me and my interests or that they will support me. Can I live with that reality? And how do I navigate that? And if somebody surprises me, great. But I'm not going to assume that things will be different and that Things will just magically work out. I don't know that. And life doesn't work out that way. So that's kind of where I'm at, guys. I mean, I'm still trying to process and think things through. I mean, I don't really know where I'm headed necessarily. But one thing I am asking myself constantly is, what do you want? What do you want out of this? Like, what is your goal? What are you aiming to do here? Is this helping you achieve your goals? Because that matters to me. I mean, if nothing else, I'm the only person in the world who should have my own interests at heart. Everybody else, I mean, you know, it's their choice. So I have to be my own advocate in this regard. So let's just do a simple recap. Walking away from things that don't serve you, it's not going to feel good. It's actually going to be really hard. I'm not always fully convinced of my actions 
or if I'm being efficient, right? If I'm really achieving what it is that I set out to do. But that's why I check in with myself all the time. Episodes like this, I do this constantly in my mind, checking in with with myself to determine how I feel, what my progress has been, you know, what's happened recently and what my emotional state is. I have to constantly check and see, okay, Faith, like what's going on here? Like, how are you feeling? What are we doing? What was the goal? Did we accomplish the goal? What were the setbacks and what did that teach you? You know what I'm saying? And if I feel like a person or a, or a movement or a group of people or anything does not suit me, then I'm out. And I think in a weird way, this has helped me stay away from more fanatical thinking because it's hard for me to become a radical in any particular direction because I understand that there's always pros and there's always going to be cons. And looking at the world from that lens has been incredibly beneficial for me, actually. I don't see things through rose-colored glasses and think that one solution is the only solution I'm going to have forever. Life is more complex than that. I don't assume undying loyalty and unconditional support from anyone because people are more complicated than that. You know what I'm saying? And so from that perspective, I mean, it makes life more uncertain and things more unclear, but that's when you rely on yourself and you trust yourself. And I think that in a lot of ways, you know, we don't trust ourselves and trust our choices or trust our intuition. And I think we should. That's the only thing you have. If you don't trust yourself, who can you trust? You know, if you don't trust that you'll make the best decision for you and that your intuition means something and that your intuition is an incredibly powerful tool, then like, what else do you have in your arsenal? So I don't know. I hope that, you know, this podcast episode makes sense, right? I hope that you got something out of it and that maybe you understand me a little bit more. If you have any questions, feel free to DM me and I'll, of course I'll answer them. But outside of that, please take care of yourselves. Make the best choice for you. Screw all the rest. Screw who doesn't like it. It's your life and you only get one. Do with it what you will. All right, guys, I'll talk to you later. See you next week. Peace.